ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلق من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تسالون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان خير الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله to begin by praising Allah we glorify him we seek his help in all our affairs we ask him to make our affairs easy for us we ask him to grant us the true understanding of Islam to increase our faith and to give us better ability to worship him and we also ask him to remove our problems and support those who are oppressed so that they are relieved of their injustices those who Allah guides nobody can mislead them and those whom he leaves to stray nobody can guide them i bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and i also testify that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is Allah's final messenger to the entire humanity. Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam has completed his mission. He has delivered the trust of uh, conveying the message and Allah has protected that message from corruption. Now, alhamdulillah we are the privileged people. We have inherited that message in our lives. We have it in our books and we have some part of it in our hearts. We ask Allah to strengthen us so that we can complete the entire deen in our lives. Amen. We are talking about some of the main characteristics that graced the people at the time of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And we have established so far that although we possess the message with us and we still have alhamdulillah scholars to benefit from and we have knowledgeable people yet there is a great disparity a great difference between the people at that time and the people who are living up to Islam today we have established that revelation needs to be treasured we have to maintain hope and we have to take specific encouragement from the promises of Allah we have seen how at that time people had the same text the same revelation but on account of their attachment to Allah and his rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam they were transformed into each one of them heroes of incomparable valor or courage we have seen how at that time people suffered hunger and deprivation and that included even muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that very few possessions they were dispossessed yet they carried on striving and struggling in the path of Allah relentlessly tirelessly they strove under the most difficult circumstances and they've met the challenges against the greatest odds and yet they did not succumb to failure or disappointment they met many disappointments in life many people let them down and betrayed their trust and many people sought to harm them 
Yet none of that ever made them lose vision of the hereafter and the goals in this life. That was a time when people were supported by miracles. And even today, although miracles are few and far between, and miracles are never there to justify faith or to create faith, but inshallah, even today we have seen in certain arenas how many of the striving Muslims experienced miracles. Sometimes human superstitions make us to invent miracles for ourselves, make up tales. And although you can discard perhaps a large proportion of such stories as fables, nevertheless the truth remains that there have been genuine miracles even in this day and age in places like Bosnia, in Afghanistan, in Chechnya, in Kashmir, in Burma, and many other places. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. So let's now move on and talk about miracles in general. Just one hadith inshallah. One or two maybe. And this is something that happened to Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. He's saying, By Allah besides whom there is no deity worthy of worship. During the days of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I used to press my stomach against the ground due to extreme hunger. Or I used to tie a stone over it. And there are other narrations like this. We have seen the earlier ones. Sometimes he would faint in the paths of people. Sometimes he would be in a fit, like perhaps foaming in the mouth and so on. And people would think that you know, perhaps he is suffering from epilepsy. And they would mistakenly perhaps even place their foot on his neck, you know, tread on him while walking by. Because he's down there in the dust, out of hunger. And these people would go out and sometimes ask others to teach them the Qur'an, or to recite a surah. And the hope was that the person being asked would realize their condition, and invite him round to his house. And typically when a Muslim takes another person home, he treats them well on account of faith. We try and be generous to our guests because it is part of Iman. So they knew that, and they a little bit relied on that generosity of the Islamic etiquette. So one day I was sitting by the side of a, a public thoroughfare, when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam, passed by me. So on seeing me, he smiled, and he recognized from my face my condition, meaning that he is hungry. So he said, Abahir, radiallahu anhu, and I responded, Labbaika ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I'm here. I'm at your service, O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu And this was typically how the companions spontaneously always responded Without exception, we find so many places like this So many companions, always I am here at your service No matter what condition they were experiencing Whether it's a personal problem at home Whether it is the, the, the worry of how the enemies are going to annihilate them whether it is just hunger in their stomachs. But always they knew they are there, still living, still breathing, their hearts are still beating to be at service to Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this, this is something which we learn even from this just one portion, the beginning part of hadith, just the response of the companions, how we should train ourselves, and how we should support one another, encourage each other to respond in a similar manner. And all types of weakness are going to beset us. The temptations, the problems, difficulties, everything is going to distract us from responding in that manner. We'll feel weighed down, we'll feel lazy, we'll feel other things are important. It's part of it. We talk about reviving the way of the Prophet ﷺ and being of the companions. This is what must obtain. We support one another to become ready to be of service to Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So he said, join me Join me, come with me I followed him On reaching home, he sought permission of the inmates entered and also permitted me to enter And in the house he found a cup of milk He found it there So he asked the, the inhabitants, he said Where has this milk come from? Because we know Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was tested the hardest and that's how the nature of Iman is that the stronger the faith the harder the tribulation or the trial this is how it has to be 
The weaker the faith, the lighter the test. So he suffered hunger, he suffered deprivation, he had hardly anything in his house, yet he was not permitted to benefit from charity. Of anyone on earth at that time, he was perhaps the most deserving candidate for charity. And he was forbidden by Allah to eat from charity. This is how he was tested. So he would always ask, once he was going by the road, he found a piece of date on the floor, he picked it up, they would never waste food, because edible, they would blow the dust off the food and eat it. But he didn't eat himself, he gave it to somebody else, because he wasn't sure, perhaps that date lying on the ground is from charity. So he was that meticulous in obeying Allah, that he would never ever act on suspicion or doubt. And Islam through and through teaches us that, not to ever act on doubt. And if we have doubt, to build on one that which is certain. Through and through it is taught like that. The religion is grounded on certain knowledge. So how can Muslims feel compelled to act on ignorance? How can Muslims feel that we need to remain confused, or become perplexed, and be at a loss? How to do, what to do, what's happening, where to go? Why? Why should we think like that? So he found the milk and said, where is this milk from? And they said, it is a present, a gift. So he said, Abahir. And I responded, I am here, O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, go and call the companions of the Sufa. And as we all know, the companions of the Sufa were the guests of Muslims. They had no family, no relatives, they had no possessions, no money, no clothes, nothing. And they lived out in the open on a ledge of rock, a raised platform. That, that is all. They were the guests of the Muslims and they lived on the support of the Muslims. So he said, go and call them. So whenever the Messenger, as he said, وسلم, whenever the Messenger of Allah received something as charity, he used to send it to them. Abu Hurairah to these guests. So here we are. This in itself is teaching us something, alhamdulillah, how we ought to take care of our own. If the refugees and the homeless people amongst the Muslimun, those who have been dispossessed of their hearth and home, like from Palestine, from Afghanistan, from Burma, many places, if they are not our guests, then are we waiting to create guests amongst the wealthy, amongst each other? Keep on spending our life, entertain, life entertaining each other? with huge banquets and feasts and dinners and so on. So Allah has provided us through the misery of other people ways and means of increase, increasing our virtue. Every single suffering of the people around you, Muslimun to start with, is an opportunity for us to realize our virtue. This is how we have to take it. So it is not a question of, you know, we just want to take pity on them and remove their hunger and clothe them and shelter them. No. It is a way of increasing our opportunities to be at the forefront on the Day of Judgment, inshallah. So call my Sufa companions, and he was always to prefer them. But when he did, when he said this, Abu Hurairah was reminiscing himself. He's thinking to himself, he's saying, how is this milk going to suffice the people of the Sufa? I deserve this more than them. I was the one who was hungry, starving. And if I drink this, perhaps I'll gain some energy, some strength. When these companions of the Sufa would come, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will ask me to serve the milk to them. When they start drinking, I don't think there will be anything left for me out of that. But what can I do? I could not dare avoid the order of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So yes, these people naturally had their own thoughts and ideas and some things trouble their minds. But nothing that troubled their minds would ever impinge or, or impede them in carrying out what needs to be done. And this is how we have to think. Sometimes we worry about doing that which is Islamic because we think perhaps it's not a right thing to do. It's Islamic but not right because it seems short-sighted or foolish or shallow or immature. Many, many reasons we come along, come, come across. We have to overcome that sensation from shaitan and do what is right according to Islam. After all, if we are going to be equally, at least equally, determined people, or people of self-dignity, 
we have to show the same type of determination like the godless people do. At least as a starter point. They are clear-headed. They are always trying. So I went out and I called them. They came in after permission was granted and they took their seats. And the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Abba here. And I replied, I am here, O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, take hold of this cup of milk and give it to them. I took the cup and I passed it to one man who would drink to his fill, give it back, then give it to the next person, and the next person. I went around all of them. There were about 80 of them. I went on doing this until the cup reached the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So you can see this companion, he had anxiety, some type of a uh, discomfort in his mind. Now how am I going to slate my thirst, slake my thirst? Then he said, Abba here, and he smiled at me, the relief. And I said, I am here, Labbaika Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, Baqi ana wa anta, now only I and you remain. That's it. And he's smiling. So you can see the psychology, the, 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 the compassion, or the care that the Messenger had, Sallallahu He knew what was going on in the mind of Abu Hurairah And he was not going to disappoint him and leave him out and prefer the others when he was the one who was starving in the streets. So he said, only you and I remain and he's smiling. So sit down and drink. So he started drinking. He said, drink some more. And he drank some more. He said, drink. And he said, by Allah who has commissioned you with the truth, now I have no more room in my stomach. It's full. I can't take it anymore. It won't go down my throat. I will burst. They said, then show me. So he took the cup, passed it to him. He thanked Allah. And with the name of Allah, he drank the milk, which was left in the cup. Hadith in Bukhari. So miracles. This miracle happened only after the people were sacrificing. And it happened to people who showed the determination and the courage to do what is right and proper in front of Allah. Today our political leaders they talk about doing what is right for the world or the international community demands this and demands that. And they talk about how that we have to physically go and disarm Saddam Hussein. You think Saddam Hussein is sitting on a, a pile of chemical weapons? He is not anywhere near any weapons of mass destruction. His palaces are secure and he has even been offered the proposal to go on exile with his family and be put up in plush locations wherever you are and given security. That in itself is a clear indication to any sane-minded person, not a Muslim, a person, a human being, that this war against him in the name of getting rid of weapons of mass destruction is a fallacy. It is about him. He can retire, he can step down, he can go into exile and live. Why? It is about the country. It's about the country's ability to be able to be self-reliant and pose a challenge to becoming gobbled up in the globalization project. It's about keeping them suppressed, and you know this as broad as daylight. It's not about Saddam Hussein. And these people are saying then if, we, if he doesn't disarm, we'll have to go and disarm ourselves. That's what Tony Blair said this morning on Breakfast with Frost, very clearly. They may or may not wait for a second UN resolution or to sanction. Who cares? Do you think a Muslim or any person with humanity in his heart would agree to the killing of people for the sake of removing a regime? Which, which person's life is worth it? Ask yourself. Even if the hundred UN resolutions are passed to oppress, the Muslims should never agree to it and should disassociate from it. So this is our condition now. They attacked Baghdad before. Hulabu Khan came in and they raped and pillaged and burnt and you saw what happened. But that was the waking up point. That was the lowest of the crest. People woke up. Maybe this is the, the starting point of the ascendancy of Islam. They have to take Baghdad and the blood has to be shed and then we shall see, inshallah. So they are talking about doing what is right, and here you are. If we do what is right and proper in front of Allah, not in front of the UN, not because of this and that and other man-made criterion, but because Allah deems it proper, according to revelation, we can expect miracles to happen. They know it. They know it clear as sunlight as well. And that's what they're afraid of, not to wake up the Muslims 
in true realization of Islam. So the starting point now is going to be first of all uh, a war against terrorism. There will be a war against those who call to, to uh, that which gives rise to terrorism and that is Wahhabism to them now. There will be that which gives rise to Wahhabism that is going to be Tawheed. It's got to be step by step. It has to be step by step. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri anhu or Abu Huraira al-Post anhu one of them on the, on the occasion of the battle of Tabuk the Muslims were in difficulty due to hunger it's another battle and again they are under extreme hardship and deprivation they are short of food so they requested the messenger of Allah وسلم, if, they would, if he would permit them to uh, slaughter some of their ride, you know, camels so they could eat just to survive and the messenger gave them permission Omar came عنه, and he said Ya Rasulullah if this is done if you do this, allow this to happen for them to slaughter some of the camels or horses we are going to suffer from a shortage of animals and we won't be able to even carry out the transportation can't get to where we are going instead ask them to bring the leftovers whatever provisions they have left over and you pray and invoke Allah's blessings on it that he may bestow his blessings upon the stuff and that's what they did so you can, you can see here how the, the consultation is taking place and how advice is being given and how the messenger وسلم, you know took mercy upon the people so they brought the, one brought a handful of beans, some brought some dates, some brought some piece of bread just scraps leftover stuff, put it all together on our table cover and the messenger of Allah وسلم, prayed and invoked Allah's barakah for this food of course it was witnessed by all the companions there, it's a recorded miracle then he said now take up your pots, bring your utensils everyone filled his pot with food so that there was not left even a single empty pot in the whole camp, everything was filled up all the pots all of them ate their fill and there was still something left over and the messenger of Allah said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I bear witness that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah and that I am the messenger of, I am the Allah's, I am Allah's messenger Ashhadu okay? Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah no servant of Allah meets him with these two affirmations these two declarations coming from the heart sincere attestations believing sincerely in them would be denied paradise so the reason why we go through suffering and the reason why we, we, we face difficulties is so that we can affirm the testification with conviction otherwise it's a lost cause otherwise they suffer and we suffer sometimes they lose jobs, we lose jobs sometimes they die and we die and many things happen this is, this is why it happens to us in a way, sometimes in a harder way the next thing I would like to talk about is how when the times are hard and people are misportraying us and we feel a little bit lost this is not the time to really look at our potential and try and enhance each other's capabilities the young, the old, all of us should look out for where there are gaps and how people can fill those gaps and sometimes these people are going to be from the most unlikely sources you know, kind of like unlikely places so the other day we were walking out, I was driving up towards South and I saw this uh, sister and she had tight blue jeans on and she had a red t-shirt so it's tight, it's not nothing with hijab at all so her arms are showing, she's got a t-shirt on and it's like hugging her skin and everything but she had a black scarf and it's good now I had two options, either a person seeing her can jump up to her and say you stupid girl, or you know, how foolish you are, a disgrace to the ummah and how can you dress like this or they can say, look, this is a, a beginner she must have recently discovered something about hijab and trying it out and, and, and encourage her and say, mashallah, you're doing well and if, she, if, she, if it's a friend, can say, maybe next time you can wear a long sleeve shirt or something and maybe next time you can wear a gown, and slowly, slowly if somebody came to her and criticized and shouted at her and said, you're stupid you know, you're a disgrace are you denying Allah? are you opposing the Prophet? what do you think would have happened to her? do you think that would be encouragement for her? that's how it is now with most of us people are, out of the goodness of their heart coming into Islam, discovering it 
and some of us are jumping at their throats because of the mistakes they are making or the shortfall they have in their practices. What we need to do inshallah is to understand how some of these unlikely people may have great things to offer, skills, services, capabilities and so forth. So this is a hadith about Ibn Abbas He was a young companion, by no means someone who was old enough to have taken part in the Battle of Badr, for example. And Omar used to have this consultation with people who were senior in the community. In his Majlis Ashura, Ashura, he used to talk to people who were old, noble and experienced. But he used to also associate Ibn Abbas in that gathering. That is what we learn. How at that time, sometimes even children would develop in-depth, mature understanding of Islam. And whatever skill they had, however, the general principle, they would be respected and given the due place and consulted and made use of. So some of the elder companions, they remarked to Omar and said, How come you associate this young boy in our company and uh, he, we have children his age? We're old enough to be his father. But yet he sits in our gatherings and in our discussions and meetings. How come? And almost says something very significant, Radiallahu He says something very significant. And this is what underlines our success. He said, He belongs to the source of your knowledge. Source of your knowledge. So look around you. Who are the people who are rooted in the Quran and the Sunnah? Even if you have differences, and there's very few of us, but who are they? Who are the people amongst, the, amongst those few who are the leading ones, the scholars and the students of knowledge? Who are they? And then look at the, 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 the attacks that are now taking place in his ideology from that perspective. Who are the people being targeted to be the, the home for breeding extremism or terrorists and so forth? Who are these people? So if we have such people amongst us, a young brother or young sister, developing understanding from the Quran and Sunnah with reference to the true scholars, they should be valued. Because you never know how they might, inshallah, become the future leaders, our rescuers, if you like. So he said he belongs to the source of your knowledge. Source because not only did he spend a lot of time with the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu wasallam, but also because he was related to him in, in, a, in a manner. So he asked me one day to come to the meeting and he asked me, uh, he said to the people, what is the meaning of What does it mean? When the help of Allah comes and the victory takes place or the conquest or the opening happens. It means the conquest of Mecca. So what does this mean? So some of the companions they say, well it means that you know it's going to happen and if it happens and when it happens we have to praise Allah and glorify Him and this and that. The apparent meaning. And Omar turned around to Ibn Abbas and said, Ibn Abbas, do you agree? And see how he is respecting him. There was a debate recently, a program on, on, on the radio recently and was talking about the problems in terms of respect in society. Many politicians have complained and talked about the issue of respect in society. And mostly the programs focus upon the teachers or the parents. And this program was about young ones. And they interviewed uh, 10 year olds, 10, 12 year olds, boys and girls, all of them are non-Muslims on that program. And asked them, you know, what do you think is the problem? You have so much complaints about you. You know, truancy to many of the crimes being committed after school hours, straight after school hours and so forth. So what is the problem? And all of them said, young, you know, 10, 12 year old, non-Muslim kids, this is respect. The old people, or the elders, or the parents, or the teachers, do not respect us. So why should we respect them? It's a two-way thing. And we have in Islam, subhanAllah, right from the beginning we are taught how he who does not show mercy, or compassion, or kindness to our young ones, you know, and who does not show respect to the elders, is not one of us. Or to the teachers, is not one of us. So it's something, something ingrained right from the beginning, from family life. And this is a typical example of how, without making anyone big-headed, because somebody is knowledgeable and has something to offer, he's being treated in a nice way. Ibn Abbas, do you agree? In front of all the others, all the experts. Young boy, do you agree? He gladdens his heart and gives him his due respect. And he said, no. No. So what do you have to say then? 
So, well, this was an intim- you know the hadith, this was an intimation, this was an information of the approach of the death of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because after Makkah is conquered and then Islam is more or less now put in place, established, then his days are numbered. Allah will take him away soon because his mission is completed. This shows how a young boy at that age and at that time sometimes developed a very in-depth, mature, strong understanding of Islam and they respected for it. Today we may not find people of similar caliber at all, but relatively speaking there are many young people around us who have great potential and great abilities and they're doing wonderful jobs for Islam and so forth. And they are sidelined, or put in the margin, marginalized, or not given any credit whatsoever. And one of the most awful situations we face is, it's a general statement, I don't want to be jumped at for saying this, is in the mosques, the mosque committees, some of the most incompetent, incompetent, unworthy people are sitting in the mosque committees, older people, and those with the energy, the ideas, the sacrifice, dedication are being sidelined because they are just the hot headed youth. There's no happy marriage of the two. Nobody's attempting that. And what Omar said, Radiallahu he said to Ibn Abbas, nobody knows more than what you have said today. Nobody knows more than what you have said today. Alhamdulillah. Because these people had knowledge, they were sincere and honest, one of the greatest characteristics was that they feared hypocrisy. Today we are very self-assured and very uh, self, um, self-righteous. And a little bit of Islamic work goes to our head and we think we are doing the earth a favor, favor. And we become very tall and high standing amongst ourselves. These people, all of them, as you know from the narration in Bukhari, all of them feared hypocrisy. And Imam Bukhari, when he mentioned this, because it was commented on by Ibn Hajar, he spoke, he said, look, nothing contrary to that is ever reported in any sources about any of the companions. That means it's an ijma, a consensus regarding all the companions without, you know, without exception across the board that they feared hypocrisy for themselves. And they were the best of people. They were the greatest people on account of faith they felt disturbed in front of Allah. Like, am I, can I really be that certain that I have been accepted by Allah and my actions have been accepted by Allah? And that did good for them. What type of people did he meet? This, this person who said, I met 30 odd companions. What type of people? He met, for example, Aisha radiallahu anha. He met the four Abdullahs. Who are the four Abdullahs? Ibn Mas'ud, Ibn Abbas, Ibn Umar, and Ibn Zubair radiallahu All four of them. He met Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu So when he says, I met 30 odd companions, he's talking about the very best of them. And all of them feared hypocrisy. And this hadith is going to now illustrate that point. Abi Rib'i Hanzal ibn Rabi'i al-Usaydi radiallahu says he was one of the copyists of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Abu Bakr al-Siddiq came to him radiallahu and after greeting him said how are you? he said uh, Hanzala has become a munafiq, hypocrite he just blurted it out spontaneously just said Hanzala, that's his own name I have become a hypocrite and Abu Bakr said radiallahu subhanallah, glory be to Allah what are you saying? Because on the face it's a monstrous thing to say, isn't it? For someone to say, I have a, I'm a hypocrite, is, is a very terrible thing to confess to. So what are you saying? He said, look, when we are before the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he mentions to us heaven and hell, paradise and hellfire, we would feel as if we are seeing them with our own eyes. Our faith would be high. We feel strong. Things are vivid. And there's no room for doubt or skepticism. It's like I'm looking at things with my own eyes. But when we left him and we got busy with our wives and our children and our uh, lands and gardens, we used to forget much. It's never the same again. Something goes missing. Something is empty. And Abu Bakr said, by Allah, we feel the same. We feel the same. Let us go to him, let us go to the Prophet Wasallam and mention it, talk about it, see what he has to say. So you can see how, how the hearts were feeling inside. They were at the forefront of struggle, they had the utmost dedication to the revelation, they were ready to die for Muhammad Wasallam, and yet they are feeling, you know, something is missing. You know, maybe I'm not keeping faith up as I should be. And this is our life. 
we also sometimes feel very high and you know, you know hyped up when we attend meetings and go to Islamic functions and so forth. Later on, we are in our jobs and in our families, and we have to be. It's a natural way of life. But do we bother to stop and think how things are different? Do we yearn for our thirst for you know, to increase our faith? And that's the difference. That we are contented by being what we are. Those people who are always thirsting to keep faith at the highest level. That's the distinction. That's the difference between them and us. They were trying to keep the faith high all the time. And they felt troubled if it wasn't happening. So they went to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and Hanzala said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hanzala has become a hypocrite, a munafiq. And the Messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and how is that? How is that? Let us try to understand what makes you say that. So he said, O Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when, we are, with, when we, we are with you, you remind us of the fire and the garden. And it's as if we are seeing with our own eyes. Then we leave you and we go back home. We become engaged with our wives and our children and our land and our gardens. And we forget a lot. It's not always in our mind. It goes missing. So the Messenger of Allah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, By Allah in whose hand is my life. If you were to continue in the same state as you are with me, as you are when you are with me, remembering Allah, angels would come down to shake your hands with you, even when you are in your beds and in the streets. In all your situations, angels will be there greeting you, shaking your hands, congratulating you, supporting you. But Hanzalah radiallahu such things happen occasionally, only now and then, from time to time. Which was very clear to us how, you know, it is not natural, he said that three times, it is not natural to have the faith high all the time and so forth. But what is natural to us should be to feel some type of remorse or regret that it is not so. And then try to keep it up as many times as possible. And there is an entire body in Revelation, in the Hadith and Ayat, which talk about increasing faith and, and renewing faith. When that is happening, when that is the, the true condition, we will find, inshallah ta'ala, another distinction is that our hearts will be ready to melt when guidance is offered. Sometimes we take you know, very strong positions in life, you know, due to pride. Sometimes we feel we cannot budge in our opinion. It's like, I've taken a decision, I have to stick by it, otherwise you might think I'm fickle-minded. I have to show you that I am a resolute person. So our decision is taken, and I ain't going to budge. This is my position, I'm not going to move. And we are like that sometimes, very stubborn, very staunch. And we know the hadith, and our hadith, which teach us very clearly that, even when we take an oath, we swear by Allah to do a certain thing. If a better option comes along, we should break that oath, and do that which is better. Because the Muslim wants the very best, and he exercises the options. Of course he has to compensate for breaking that oath, make amends. But the point is he should break the oath, and not insist on doing that which is wrong, or worse. In fact, the general principle of da'wah, which we would do well to remind ourselves, is, to, is that to stop or prevent corruption of vice as a higher priority than to bring about some good. It's a general principle, might not be known. To stop a vice or corruption happening or spreading is more important of a higher importance than just to start and do something good. In, in Dawah is a general principle. So hadith, Aisha says عنها, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam, was in his room and he heard two people outside his door arguing. And they were getting all heated up. They are disputing. And the situation was that one person owed the other some money. So the one who owed the money, he was saying, I can't pay you back, and you know, give me more time, and, or reduce the amount, whatever he's arguing about. And the other guy is getting all heated up and saying, no, well, you had enough time, you're playing around, stop pissing me about, whatever. No, I ain't going to let go of the amount. So in the end he said, by Allah, I shall not do it. I will not reduce the amount. So what happened? This shows that how people can get carried away. These are the two companions, two Sahaba, great people. They are devout people, pious people, knowledgeable people. So humanly it is possible for us sometimes to get carried away. 
and even argue and get heated up and say things which are regrettable. But then what? As soon as guidance comes to light, we should change and not insist on an opinion made out of anger or stubbornness or pride or prejudice. So Muhammad came out, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And all he said was, where is the man, where is the person who swears by Allah that he will not act on kindness? He didn't say about not accept his demand or reduce the amount, no. There's a principle at stake. The principle is, Iman requires us to show compassion. Kindness, mercy is an aspect of faith. Where is the man who is swearing by Allah he will not accomplish an aspect of faith? He is swearing he will not be kind. Who is this man? So all he said was, it is I, Ya Rasulullah Wasallam. it is me. But, and for him, is whatever he likes. So straight away, it's finished, he changes position. Moment before he is strong and angry and he's saying, I'm not going to budge. He's holding his ground. And as soon as the truth is made clear, he can say this hadith. As soon as the hadith comes to, to his knowledge, he gives up his opinion in favor of the hadith. Just like that, his heart melts. This is the difference between those people, one of the differences between those people and us today. Nowadays, we know many things from the Sunnah, many great stories are told to us about the Sahaba and, and, and better than that, the life of Muhammad wasallam. and still we retain our positions and our prejudices and our pride and we don't want to budge. And we say, no, how can we? We can't because an, an, a lame excuse comes along. Now we talk about um, how the charity was uh, realized. Last six, seven minutes left. From Anas ibn Malik radiallahu he says that Abu Talha at that time was the richest person amongst the Ansar in terms of landed property. So he had a lot of uh, real estate land. And you know, he had a lot of date palms and stuff like that. And there's one particular garden, Bayraha, he loved the best. And that garden was very special because it was in a prime location. It was right outside the mosque of the Prophet And the Messenger himself would go into a garden and eat the dates and drink the water and stuff like that. That, made, that meant the garden was very special. It had a distinguished visitor all the time and it was a prime location. Think of the properties in, in London. Some parts of London property prices are very high because of where it is. So it was a very, uh, a very uh, valuable thing to him, from an from from emotional point of view as well. Then the ayah was revealed. And you know the ayah. لَن تَنَلُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِيَعْلِينَ By no means you shall attain piety until you spend from that which you love. This ayah is not saying, therefore, straight away I have to go home and give out the best possession I have. It's not like that. But it's teaching us a principle that as we grow in faith, we become less and less attached to material things of the world. We still value them, we love these things, we have emotional value or sentimental value, but in the end, if they need to be sacrificed for the sake of Allah, we will sacrifice them without feeling the pinch inside, inshallah. You know the story of how Allah taught us about the stubbornness of the followers of Moses, peace be on him. They were asked to sacrifice a calf and look at the amount of questions they came up with. What color, what age was supposed to do, this and the other. And finally, with reluctance, they gave the sacrifice. They were squeezed out of them. Today, if we are to do, like, the Eid coming, Eid al-Adha, are you going to buy a, a, a scraggly sheep, you know, emaciated, half-starving and so on? No, that would not be accepted. Same way, when it comes to eat time, you perhaps you know, buy a good sheep, nice, nice fat one, with more meat and so on. We eat a little longer kind of thing. When it comes to other deeds, we are holding ourselves back, unfortunately. There's such a number of Muslims, they want to cut corners. They will give the worst of their, they'll throw away stuff, rubbish stuff. Oh, what to do? We'll give it Islamic relief. Bring the bin liner and we'll fill it up with our old shoes and old clothes and give it to them. Yeah, a convenient way to rid of one's guilt complexes. We never want to get some fresh new things from our you know, pockets. It's like this person I know. No, his mashallah is doing a wonderful job. This came out as a mistake though. He's regretting it now and looking for a way out. May Allah reward him. But it was a mistake. And this happened, this happened, this kind of thing happens 
due to uh, you know, ignorance and lack of faith to some extent. This person is um, sponsoring an orphanage in Pakistan, mashallah, at a tune of about 10-15,000 pounds a year. Mashallah. But all that money is coming from his interest money. Because he's got money invested in the bank. Of course, he can't just pull it out and say, I'm going to stop now. He started it off. But why does things like that happen? It happens because in the beginning, faith was not strong enough to sacrifice from one's own pocket. It was an easy way of doing something and saying, feeling good about it. So he see Abu Talha came, radiallahu to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and said, Messenger of Allah, Allah sent you this verse that you shall not attain piety until you spend from what you love the most. And the property which I like the most is bayraha. I therefore offer it in charity for the pleasure of Allah, hoping for the recompense from Allah. So do with it whatever you like. Okay, that's nice, that's remarkable. But the reply from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is even more remarkable. And that shows to us how he was a, an example of mercy to the world. And how Islam has priorities and prefers the true help. Because he said, well, that is a very profitable property. That is indeed a very profitable property. It's, it's, a, it's a jewel of a property. And I have heard what you have said. But I think you should divide it amongst your relatives. Don't give it to me. Give it to your relatives. Because one of the most fundamental aspects of faith is to build the relationships of the kith and kin. And who breaks the ties, he actually breaks off his uh, prospects of going to paradise. Hellfire becomes incumbent on him more or less. So build the relatives, do the relationship. So start, charity starts at home and do this. If you have something nice to give, utilize it to bind the bond of relationships and brotherhood. Do that. Build. Just from this one hadith we can see the importance of brotherhood, the emphasis on brotherhood. And how terribly shallow those people must be who on the slightest pretext of a fake difference or an opinion want to shatter the bonds of brotherhood through argumentation and dispute with each other. Just imagine. And finally now, inshallah, last few minutes, um, this is from Anas ibn Malik anhu, that once the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he gave a sermon and it was like a very special sermon, khutbah, the like of which they had never heard before. And in the course of it he said, لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا عَالَمُوا لَدَهِكْتُمْ قَلِيلًا وَلَبَكَيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا If you had known what I had known, you would have laughed little and wept much. And you know the story. You know the hadith, alhamdulillah, you know the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. But let us from time to time remember you know, what actually happened, because we know what happened. But we, don't, we tend to forget. What happened was, when he said that, as you know, all of them began to weep. There are grown-ups there, great people, noble people, the most, you know, courageous warriors were there, Mujahideen, and they're all openly crying. Those present covered their faces and began to sob loudly. They put their heads down and started weeping loudly, all of them. So one of the points I had was that was a time when even the adults did not feel ashamed to cry for the sake of Allah with each other. And that made them strong, not weak. Made them strong. I had another uh, hadith about how uh, this person was um, once walking down the, uh, in the de desert and this, suddenly this rain cloud appeared and from the rain cloud a voice came saying the water the garden of so and so. And this man was puzzled and the, and the cloud started moving. There was no wind, nothing. There was only one, this one, one patch of cloud. And he started moving. And he followed the cloud. And he went over a pot of land and just stopped there. And it, it, it rained on that spot. On the, on, the, on the garden. So when he went there, he thought it was a garden. And there was a man inside the garden like, shoveling water and picking it on the plants and so on. So he asked him, he said, oh, no, what's so special about you? Who are you? What's your name? He mentioned his name. He said, what do you ask? He said, because I heard your name from this cloud and it came on and it's raining on your garden. There must be something special about you. What's so special about you? And I said, well, I can't think of anything. All I know is that when I, when I harvest the crop, I keep one third for myself, my family, the fruits. And I keep another third to plant for the next crop. So two-thirds are used by himself. But one-third I give away in charity. That's all I know. I give to poor people, people in need. 
So again, you can see how Allah supported him, you know, through a miracle and enhanced his honor because the other person got to find out about it, you know. So there was a time when you know, people were very generous and they were always preferring others about themselves and there are many stories like that. I would like to finish now, inshallah ta'ala, with this last two hadith. This is some this is the rounding off of what we have been speaking of for the last three lectures, inshallah ta'ala. That at the end of it all, our goal is to become, become the beloved of Allah. Our goal is to become as close to Allah as possible. And the way to achieve that is very straightforward. There might be a lot of details, but to start off with, it's very straightforward. We know the five pillars, the main obligations, the major sins, and what is the, the main forbidden acts. It's all made very clear, crystal clear. So the hadith, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu said, Allah says, Whoever is an enemy to one whom I befriend, then I declare war against him. And you have to accept that the companions must have understood this. The Sahaba must have understood that their protection and their victory lay in the fact that they were on the side of Allah. They were Allah's troops, the Jundullah. They were the soldiers of Allah. If Allah is supporting them, nothing can overcome them. So he said, my servant does not come close to me with anything more beloved to me than the obligatory acts. So they were steadfast on the obligation. He continues to draw closer to me with the optional acts until I love him. And when I make him my beloved, I become his ears with which he hears and with his, his eyes with which he sees and his hands with which he grasps and his feet with which he walks. When he asks me, I grant him and when he seeks my protection, I protect him. Hadith in Bukhari. So this was the, the upshot of it all, that the companions, they understood they had to become the beloved of Allah. And they attained that by tuning their hearts to revelation. And that meant following revelation in a devout manner, not mechanical, academic, intellectual manner, devout manner, as a matter of worship, ibadah, nothing else. They were simple-minded in the sense, they didn't complicate their affairs, they didn't seek to twist, twist and make things hard and difficult. Things were straightforward. Allah says, Messenger says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is what we have to do, we do it. And there are obstacles and problems, overcome it. It's part of living in this world. We need to do what we need to do. The last hadith from Anas ibn Malik, that the Messenger of Allah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah says, When a servant of mine comes near to me by a hand span, shibr, I come here near him by a cubit. Cubit is from the, tip, the tip of your forefinger to your elbow. An old measurement. And when he proceeds towards me by a cubit, I advance towards him by an arm's length from there to there. Arm's length. And when he comes to me walking, I advance to him running. See, if we are seeking a salvation or a protection or victory or relief, it has to be because Allah grants the salvation and protection and victory and relief. Not because we think we can dig it out of the earth by dint of our own courage and merits. It has to come from Allah. We are people of belief, conviction. It has to come from Allah. So here we are. If we want to pray and the hadith says our prayers will be answered, we need to become, inshallah, a bit more cautious in how we are approaching Islam. We have to approach it in a matter of faith and devotion, inshallah. So with whatever faith we have and with whatever the sincerity we have, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us His forgiveness, to give us guidance, to increase our knowledge, to help us to get rid of these people who are exploiting and oppressing and tormenting humanity, and to make us those who are the liberators of people so that we can, inshallah, by His grace and mercy, effect truth and justice according to His deen. We ask Allah to make His deen prevail, to make His word the highest, and to save us from the torment of the hellfire. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك اليك وجزاكم الله خير